2: This week, Boris Johnson might have a fight on his hands. Well, freedom's dying.
1: I-, I wish to put it in those stark terms. Freedom's dying. The job of Parliament is to prevent officials and ministers wielding unaccountable, arbitrary power at their own discretion. It's our job to make sure it's authorised by democratic means.
2: It's been six months since MPs voted for the Coronavirus Act, a set of laws that gave the government sweeping powers over almost every aspect of daily life. They said it was necessary to protect public health. But now a rebellion is brewing and some MPs want more of a say over the Prime Minister's coronavirus strategy.
0: This could be really, really significant. If Boris Johnson wants to implement some restrictions that either don't go far enough or go too far, then MPs could revolt over that and this will give them a means to facilitate
2: that revolt. You're listening to Stories of Our Times, from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Ross Kempsell, special correspondent for Times Radio, sitting in for Manveen Rana. Today, is Boris Johnson facing a rebellion over his handling of the COVID crisis? So much has happened since then. But cast your mind back to the 24th of March. Good evening. The coronavirus is the biggest threat this country has faced for decades. And the day before, Boris Johnson gave a TV address the announcing the first national lockdown. To stay at home, protect our NHS and save lives. Meanwhile, in Parliament...
0: Steve Baker.
1: Madam Deputy Speaker, I stand first...
2: One MP appeared close to tears.
1: Because libertarian though I may be, this is the right thing to do. But my goodness, we ought not to allow this situation to endure one moment longer than is absolutely necessary to save lives and preserve jobs. If come the autumn it's clear that this epidemic, this pandemic continues, then there certainly is time to have several days of scrutiny. And I just implore to my right honourable friend... I, for goodness sake, let us not allow this dystopia to endure one moment longer than strictly necessary.
2: My name's Steve Baker. I'm the Conservative Member of Parliament for Wickham. You might remember Steve Baker as one of the leading Brexiteer rebels when Theresa May was Prime Minister.
1: And uh, I consistently drive towards freedom, whether it's leaving the European
2: Union or coronavirus. Steve, take us back to the 24th of March. It was clear that in that debate, you were not just concerned, but you were visibly upset and actually on the verge of tears. What was going on for you that day?
1: Well, I don't know about the verge of tears, it's a tricky one. <laughs> I certainly feel passionate with a ferocious passion, the desire to promote freedom. So to have to stand there and nod through an enormous act of parliament, including draconian powers, I could foresee that we were heading down a dreadful road uh, with what the law we were passing, that it was necessary to just sit there and let it be nodded through. And I hated doing it, but it was necessary. So you know, I didn't get into politics to to legislate like that. So it, it, it's the dread responsibility of being a politician to do it. But I suppose I could see what was happening to freedom—that in a sense, freedom uh, would be dying under coronavirus—and that's that's why I spoke with some passion. We'll hear more from
2: Steve Baker later. But first,
0: the challenges were absolutely monumental. The government was facing an unprecedented crisis that was going to need a huge shutdown of the economy, but it didn't have the powers to do it.
2: Steve Swinford is The Times' Deputy Political Editor. He spoke to me from Westminster.
0: So in March, Parliament passed the Coronavirus Act 2020, which gives the government hugely far-reaching powers to implement lockdowns, to fine people, to even jail people if they refuse to go into quarantine. Now, those powers are held in reserve, but they exist on statute, and we've never seen anything like them before as a country, since since arguably the war. This is very, very powerful legislation which the government holds in reserve. The coronavirus act came in and the government has since been carrying out huge changes to society, to all aspects of our lives. MPs largely haven't even been in Parliament to actually debate it.
2: And that was six months ago. What's happening in Parliament this week? What's going to happen on Wednesday?
0: Well, we finally got to the stage where Tory MPs are in full revolt over these coronavirus restrictions. Uh, Sir Graham Brady, who's the chairman of the 1922 oh, Committee, has tabled an amendment which would essentially give Parliament the final say on new coronavirus powers when they're implemented. Uh, let's talk to Sir Graham Brady. He's chair of the 1922 Committee of Backbench Conservative MPs. My argument is simply that uh, government shouldn't be allowed to govern by decree. So whenever powers power. are used under the Coronavirus Act or under the the Public Health Act of 1984, he says Parliament should have a say about the implementation of those powers. The government doesn't want that. Is liberty at risk of dying because of the government's response to COVID-19? Well, I have huge respect for Steve Baker. I like him enormously, but I think that is slightly overblown. I think it's important in a crisis like this, when things are moving very rapidly, that the government has the power to move quickly, and that is the power that the government was given. But Graham has amassed a huge amount of support, more than 40 Tory MPs, and they are likely to get Labour on board as well, and it's a problem for the government.
2: Now, people might not have been paying much attention to what's been going on in Parliament in the past few months, and that's understandable. What's been the situation in the Commons? Have MPs been there? What have they been doing?
0: MPs have been here on and off, but they've largely kept their offices. So we're used to seeing the tea rooms really busy a kind of hive of gossip, but actually the whole thing is very disconnected. And for reporters like us, Ross, that actually makes life quite difficult because you're mm. used to the kind of gossip. You meet someone, you bump into them, you have a chat, you find out what's going on. None of that's going on, but, and that has led to a wider disconnect between Downing Street, where massive decisions are being made, juggernaut decisions on a daily basis, and the MPs themselves. And they're not talking to the government, and they are feeling, a lot of them, quite disconnected, slightly disenfranchised and Boris Johnson has had a real problem with a lot of Tory MPs who are increasingly alienated.
2: Now both you and I Steve have reported on the particular ructions that are going on over the renewal of the Coronavirus Act. Give us an insight into who the key players are in this rebellion.
0: So Sir Graham Brady is, is a massive kind of Tory grandee, he's a leading figure, he actually threw his hat in for the Tory leadership Contest, but wasn't successful in kind of getting anywhere with that. Um, but he's there, and crucially, most of the officers of the 1922 committee are. So you've basically got leading eurosceptic figures that are all backing this, uh, and then you've also got Steve Baker. Now, now, Steve Baker's role in rebellions is is kind of legend in this place. But he's a real organizer and an agitator, and he's very, very good at bringing together a rebellion in a short space of time. He's done it many times before, and he's doing it again now. And it's no surprise that when that amendment was laid, there were more than 40 Tory MPs who were signatories to it. We're told that the actual number who are going to back it would be closer to 60. So it's a huge number of Tory MPs are already supporting it. And it looks like they've easily got enough to defeat the government on it.
2: As we approach Wednesday afternoon, which is when this motion is coming back to the Commons, what's happening here is that the Act has to be renewed every six months, the Coronavirus Act. Technically, what are MPs trying to do? I understand they're trying to amend it so that they'll get a vote whenever the government changes the law in future.
0: Exactly. So that's what they're trying to do. They want to vote whenever whenever the government changes the law. And that is a problem. This is not straightforward, Ross. It's highly unusual what they're doing. Just to put this in lay terms, normally on a motion, there is only ever a binary vote. It's a yes or no, and they're non-amendable. And I know for a fact that the clerks in the Commons have advised Lindsay Hoyle, the Speaker, that this amendment cannot have any legal force. So even if it was tabled and even if there was a vote on it, If it was passed, it's purely symbolic, right? So Lindsay Hoyle is now faced with a massive dilemma. Does he allow the MPs to table what is effectively a symbolic amendment and to have a vote on that? If he does, he will arguably be breaching the promise that he made to MPs when he came in, that he wouldn't create kind of backdoor routes to hold the government to account in a way that John Bercow did over Brexit. And I'm told categorically there is no way in hell that Lindsay Hoyle will let this go to a vote. Now, that is not going to stop Graham Brady and all the Tory MPs from pushing very, very hard at this door. So what we're going to hear is a lot of noise and a lot of thunder. And The question is, will
2: the government move? Now, I've been looking at some of the names on this amendment. By no means are all of these libertarian conservative MPs. Is this part of a growing wider sense of dissatisfaction with the way the government's handled the pandemic?
0: Yes, yeah, so I think this, this rebellion is in a microcosm because this is a very fundamental point about democracy. Should MPs have a vote on coronavirus legislation and a kind of democratic deficit? And that, cuts across all wings of the Tory party on a whole variety of issues. Like you say, someone like Damien Green is on it as well. He was Theresa May's de facto deputy and is arguably no ally of the Eurosceptics who gave him hell when he was in office. But now he's lining up with them to oppose this. So you've got One Nation Conservatives, you've got ardent Brexiteers. They've all got different views, but they all think that Parliament should have a say on it. And that is the problem that Boris Johnson is facing at the moment. It's this fundamental party management Issue. There is a problem that it appears when you look at it that Downing Street has failed to bring MPs with them on a lot of issues, and that's all bottled up. And this is across the piece from the exams fiasco to coronavirus to some of the economic response, and that is kind of all finding an outlet in this amendment that is tabled by Sir Graham Brady.
2: And I'm sure you're picking up the same sense as I am that actually some people involved in this rebellion are new 2019 Conservative MPs. Is this really unusually early for the wheels to begin to fall off in Parliament for a Conservative government? I mean, we're barely a year into Boris Johnson's administration. You would expect with a majority of 80 that the vast majority of Conservative MPs would remain on side.
0: I think you're entirely right, Ross. This is When you look at it, we're talking to some of these MPs, they say it's an 80-strong majority, but it feels like a kind of fragile Cameron-era majority. It feels very febrile out there. And a lot of those 2019 Red Wallers... They've been disconnected from the centre. The outreach efforts haven't quite gone into winning them round. But also, they've got nothing to lose. They're in seats with wafer thin majorities that they won at the last election, and they want to keep those seats. And things like the Dominic Cummings, Barnard Castle incident put further distance between them and Downing Street. Many of them came out publicly and condemned him for doing that. So that dissatisfaction. There are a whole body of MPs that need courting and need bringing into the tent. And at the moment, they're unafraid to rebel. And the problem that Boris Johnson is going to have is if they're rebelling this early you do it once and you feel well I could do this again and so it's the beginning of a a longer term problem for him if he's got a group of new MPs that are readily willing to rebel.
2: And what are the government's options?
0: Well at the moment it's committed to a debate in parliament which is Pretty simple. So, but look, it could start to give votes on coronavirus legislation. Knowing this government, and you'll know this as well as I do, they're not going to want to give away power. So, I can't imagine they will want to be giving votes on key pieces of coronavirus legislation, especially when they might need to be introduced at very, very short notice, which will leave us once again with a very discontented parliamentary party at odds with the centre, which is going to be the theme of this parliament, it feels
2: if ministers resisted this what's driving this what is your picture of the worst case scenario for the uk what's the situation that you're worried could play out if this becomes or continues to be the norm well freedom's dying i I wish to put it in those stark terms freedom's dying
1: conservative mp steve baker We've been locked down in our homes. Now, of course, the legitimate reason for doing it is that if we had not taken steps, then people would die. And and of course, the harm principle is the fundamental reason for legitimising restrictions of freedom. So I'm not saying... That It shouldn't be done, but I'm saying it must be proportionate and it must be authorised by Parliament. So the worst case is that we just get used to freedom dying and we end up getting used to living under a shifting sea of regulations that no one really understands. Meanwhile, people are picking up fines and even criminal records because they're living under these laws which no one understands, which keep changing. This is the death of freedom. And I mean, how do th- the, the, the banality of evil is something which I'm afraid I've discovered during my time as an MP. Somebody slips a knife into somebody's chest on the street and they die. But the banality of it is wicked. And similarly, the banality of the collapse of the rule of law is also now before us. We, we, you can't have this, this much law changing this fast and maintain the rule of law and freedom. So if you ask me the worst case,
2: it's the collapse of freedom under a conservative government. I'm not having it. I want to ask you two questions about the politics of this. The first is how do you think the Conservative Party got here with a prime minister who previously, to many observers, looked like not necessarily a libertarian, but certainly close to one uh, within his section of the Conservative Party. And secondly... Is this also about a resurgence of a kind of libertarian sentiment on the backbenches of of the Conservative Party? Well,
1: so I'm afraid there's a lot of nuance in this. I'll try to keep it brief. I've never thought of Boris as an ideological libertarian. I'm afraid I probably am the most dogmatic ideological libertarian in Parliament, but even I have to be pragmatic. You know, you do have to compromise with the voter. Boris is an extremely charismatic man with a wild and uncontrollable spirit. And that's why I back him amongst other things. And I've got great faith in him. But he is burdened by the responsibility that comes with being told by experts, hundreds of thousands may die. He has risen to that responsibility as difficult and out of character as it may have been to have had to, to, to take the tone that he has. So he has my admiration. But if you look at who's now joining in on this amendment, I've got the list if you wish me to pick it up, but it's a broad spectrum of the party. You know, no one can say that this is the libertarian wing of the Conservative Party. This is parliamentarians who appreciate the value of maintaining principle in our democracy.
2: And does that maybe show that this is about more than the way that some of this legislation has been handled? Is it about a general sense of unease with the way the government's handled the pandemic as a whole? Well, members of parliament are clearly feeling increasingly helpless.
1: There's a lot of new MPs, as people know, and they, of course, if, no sooner have they come come in, but they've been beaten to and fro by this pandemic. You no, know, I've had one MP say to me, you know, my constituents now being told they've got to stay at home, that's on pain of a £10,000 fine. There's nothing I can do about it. And I didn't authorise it. And then MPs are just not happy with it. Ministers and officials, I have to say, I've worked with ministers, and officials, and however wonderful they may be, however capable and competent and talented, they do trust themselves with power. And this is one of the old questions in politics. The job of Parliament is to prevent officials and ministers wielding unaccountable arbitrary power to, at their own discretion. It's our job to make
2: sure it's authorised by democratic means. There's a there's kind of thin line, I guess, between some of the, these sentiments, arguably, and a more broad scepticism about things like masks, lockdowns itself, lockdown scepticism. Are you basically saying now that, Elements of the way that the virus has been dealt with have been too harsh and it's been overblown. So I I know that
1: I represent many people for whom this is a dangerous disease and I want to look after them. But I also want to be realistic and science based in what we do. And also not only to be led by the science, we've got to consider the, the economics. We've also got to consider, as I say, the direction of travel of society and civil liberties. These are all hard challenges.
2: There will be people who will argue against this and they'll say that the reason why we've had such unprecedented powers is because we've been in a truly unprecedented situation. We didn't see a health crisis of this scale coming and it was necessary to do what the government had to do because it was making decisions in the dark do you have any sympathy with that that argument
1: of course i have sympathy with that argument of course i do people are afraid and fear is a very strong motivator and the reasonable worst case scenario that we were facing when we went into lockdown was exceptionally serious you know i was told we doubled and redoubled mortuary capacity and that we needed to redouble it again i was told we would run out of crematorium capacity that is an extremely grave situation to face as a representative so, yes, of course, I've got sympathy. But as Rishi said, you know, we need to learn to live without fear.
2: I mean, there are tens of thousands of families who will have experienced somebody dying, one of their loved ones dying through coronavirus. Could you make the same argument to them in these dark terms? All of these
1: conversations are very hard. I have not lost a loved one. Some of my friends have lost their parents. Uh, many of my constituents have lost loved ones equally i've had people who've lost loved ones get in touch with me and say we can't let society go down this path so there'll be a wide spectrum of views here but the test of our society is how we respond to such a thing
2: we're both seasoned or you you much more than me observers of the conservative party and it is unusual at this stage of a government i think for there to be quite the degree of dissatisfaction that i'm picking up on the back benches with the way that number 10 are handling things let's talk about number 10 versus the backbenches. This is unusually early, isn't it, for there to be serious questions being raised about Boris Johnson's leadership? Um, well,
1: <laughs> you are probably a better observer of these things than me being on the outside and being a bit detached from it. I mean, I've had an extraordinary time in politics and I have to admit my culpability in encouraging ginger groups. You know, I have fermented parliamentary insurrection and I don't wish to ferment it anymore. So I, I don't want to comment very much on it.
2: Colleagues are getting fed up though, aren't they, with Boris
1: Johnson? I don't think that they are at the point that they're they're not fed up with him. They're fed up with the situation we're in. What I would say is people have got a great deal of faith in Boris Johnson. But, oh, you know, I'll push the boat out. You know, many of us will have seen Lord of the Rings. And there's a scene in Lord of the Rings where Theoden, the king, is under the spell of his advisors. And he has to be woken up from that spell. And when he wakes from that spell, joy comes to pass in the kingdom. And I'm afraid at the moment, Somebody needs to wake Thaddeus from his slumber, and when he when
2: Theodin awakes, and I mean Boris, everything will come right. And this is a coded reference, no, no doubt, also to Dominic Cummings, who you've got personal history with. Now, look, I can possibly comment. Steve Baker, thanks so much.
1: You're most welcome.
2: You really, really
1: want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are,
0: tap the banner to go to Monday.com.
2: What's the difference here between MPs who are unhappy about parliamentary procedure But then a much wider sense in the country of maybe lockdown scepticism, scepticism over the necessity of some of these measures such as masks. Is there a way of drawing those two together or do you think that they're separate phenomena?
0: No, I think this amendment does draw those together, both those who are on the right of the party and think that the coronavirus restrictions have gone too far. And then the, on the other side, it encompasses those who just want parliament to have a vote and have, to have a voice. I think the broader debate here was summed up by Rishi Sunak when he delivered his
2: statement in the comments. It would be dishonest to say there is now some risk-free solution, or that we can mandate behaviour to such an extent we lose any sense of personal responsibility. What was true, at the beginning of
0: this crisis remains true now. It's on all of us, and we must learn to live with it and live without fear. Now, if that wasn't a coded message to the prime minister, then I don't know what is. On the one hand, you've got the prime minister kind of talking about £10,000 fines for this, that and the other. And then on the other, you've got Rishi Sunak saying, this is the new normal. Let's learn to live without fear. And behind the scenes, they're not ripping into each other, but there is clearly a very strong debate between the Prime Minister and Rishi Sunak about how far you go on lockdown restrictions and how far you go in shutting down the economy. And that is reflected over the wider party, right? So it's, it's affecting the Cabinet and affecting the highest levels of government
2: as well. Ultimately, could this become a threat to Boris Johnson's leadership? I mean, you mentioned Rishi Sunak there. There's a lot of interest in this man, the Chancellor. Is this moving towards potential threats to the Prime Minister?
0: I think it's probably far too early for that. People have to remember he does have an 80-strong majority. One very senior Tory advisor was pointing out to me that look, next year we'll probably be 10 points behind Keir Starmer, right? That is what we should expect normally. People are going to wet the bed over it. They said they're going to get upset about that. But that is what happens when you are the incumbent government. It was the same under Ed Miliband, right? And it doesn't mean we're going to lose come 2024. So it, we have to get this in perspective. But by the same token, I was talking to another a Tory MP this morning, who was saying to me that that point when the polls start to flip and Starmer takes a lead, is the point all of this becomes much more uncomfortable for Boris Johnson and people start to contrast him and Rishi Sunak. By the same token these job losses are coming and Rishi Sunak's job is about to get much much more difficult. It's very easy to be popular when you are dishing out billions of pounds all over the place but he has taken a very difficult decision that they are going to turn off effectively the life support for a load of zombie jobs that would otherwise no longer exist that's going to go there will be inevitable redundancies and the response to that is what will shape this government and if he succeeds in that then his stock will be very high but there are very perilous times ahead both for the nation but also for Rishi Sunak and Boris Johnson on a political basis.
2: What are the likely possible outcomes here if if the government was trying to manage this could it back down?
0: I think the likely possible outcome is compromise. I think they will have to do some form of compromise. They're offering more scrutiny. They're offering debates. That won't be enough. So some more democratic scrutiny than there is presently feels inevitable to me.
2: So when we reflect on all of the various rebellions and big showdowns that there have been in Parliament, we haven't been short of them in the past few years. Do you think this is one that we'll look back on?
0: This could be really, really significant. If Graham Brady succeeds in this and MPs vote for his amendment then it will change the way that uh, lockdown restrictions are implemented and give Parliament the say on them. And coronavirus is not going away. And especially down the line, if Boris Johnson wants to implement some restrictions that either don't go far enough or go too far, then MPs could revolt over that. And this will give them a means to facilitate that revolt. So it could be a really, really important moment.
2: You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, with me, Ross Kempsell, and my guests, Deputy Political Editor for The Times, Steve Swinford, and the Conservative MP for Wickham, Steve Baker. The producer was James Shield. The executive producer is Bobby Damon. Sound design was by Carla Patella. Music by Breakmaster Cylinder and Ketzer. You can keep up with all Steve Swinford's reporting with a digital subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times. Visit thetimes.co.uk forward slash subscribe to find out more. And you can find me over on Times Radio, on DAB, on your smart speaker, or in the Times Radio app.
1: When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers.